The episode of I Think Therefore I Fan you're about to listen to discusses the following works, The Invisible Man, Lord of the Rings, Groundhog Day, The Matrix, Dante's Inferno, Star Wars, Guardians of the Galaxy, Bicentennial Man, Pinocchio, So Long and Thanks for All the Fish, The Wizard of Oz, and The Good Place. You've been warned. Hello, everyone, and welcome to I Think, Therefore I Fan, a pop culture and philosophy podcast. On this podcast, we'll explore the most compelling philosophical themes as we find them in all of everyone's favorite fandoms. We are your hosts. I'm Dr. Richard Green. And I'm Dr. Rachel Robison Green. joining us. You sound like crap. (laughs) I'm not going to be talking very much on this episode because my voice is gone and I don't think you want to hear that. You've lost your voice. Fortunately, we've done some interviews before you lost your voice, so they'll they'll still get plenty of you. All right, so today we're talking about thought experiments, right? This is sort of the bread and butter of um, the philosopher, right? How how do you make your arguments? Um, The tradition of armchair philosophers, right, going back 2,500 or so years ago has involved coming up with what philosophers sometimes call intuition pumps or thought experiments, right? Little stories, hypotheticals, um, sometimes appropriating them from pop culture as a way of making points. And sometimes um, thought experiments are used to sort of generate intuitions, right? Trolley case examples for um instance, you know, might, um, with the, all the variations, push you in one direction or another with respect to accepting um, some moral principle. Um, but other times they're used to sort of conclusively make points. Uh, so uh, I thought just to get it started for those that aren't sort of familiar with this sort of thing, um, I'll mention one that I've, I've liked quite a bit. I think there, there's just something kind of brilliant. So there's this story about Galileo, right, that he wanted to disprove the idea that heavier objects fell at a faster rate than lighter objects. So he went up to the top of the Leaning Tower of Pizza, and he's got a couple of of balls, um, one very heavy, one light, um, drops them at the same time, they fall at the same rate, and that disproves it. But it turns out that most scholars of Galileo, um, as well as people who specialize in the study of things that were dropped from the Leaning Tower of Pisa, uh, agreed that that never happened. But Galileo wrote about this, this thought experiment he made up that sort of conclusively sorts this out. So you're, you're supposed to assume that heavier objects fall at a faster rate. Now you imagine Galileo's got the two balls and he tethers them together with a rope and drops them, right? So the heavier one should fall faster than the, the lighter one. So it should hit the ground first. And in fact, the lighter one might even create some drag on the heavier object, right? If that assumption is true, making it the case that that both the heavier object and the lighter object it's tethered to would fall at a rate that's slower 
than the heavier object, right? The lighter object's gonna hit last um, and it may even slow down the heavier object. So that's, you know, if that reasoning's correct, that seems plausible until, as Galileo points out, you realize that the combination of the heavy object, the heavy ball, the light ball, and the rope weigh more than the heavy object, right? So this is the part that makes it a thought experiment. This is what makes it a thought experiment, yeah. So if that reasoning is correct, um, the heavy object should fall slower because it's being dragged down by the light object, but the whole thing should fall faster because it's heavier than the heavy object or the light object. Um, it's a contradiction, right? The contradiction can't happen. So it's reduced to absurdity, as they say. All right, so that's the idea. In some previous episodes, we've talked about some of our, our favorite thought experiments. Um, the Ring of Gyges, which Plato appropriates from the pop culture of the day, um, you know, from mythology, and it makes its way into all sorts of places, and The Invisible Man, Lord of the Rings, Groundhog Day, and so forth. Um, this episode, um, we feature interviews with three prominent philosophers. We were at the annual meeting of um, the Intercollegiate Ethics Bowl, right, at the National Championship, and we had the good fortune to talk to Mark Dorley, uh, Devin Belcher, and um, Alan Tomhave. And by the way, um, shout out to Alan Tomhave, whose team won Youngstown State, won the Ethics Bowl National Championship. So, given that I'm doing all the talking here, um, what do you say we just head straight to the interviews? Rachel's nodding, yes. Okay, so we're talking to Professor Mark Dorley about um, thought experiments in pop culture. So you had one in mind. What's your, is this your favorite thought experiment or your favorite one that makes its way into pop culture? The latter. The latter. Yes. All right, so, and it is. It is. Um, comes from Robert Nozick, another philosopher from Harvard, who um, had an ex a thought experiment about a machine that would... Um, convinced us that everything was fine, that our life was, uh, we were happy, we had everything we needed, and everything was hunky-dory, right? Mm -hmm. In fact, it's just a machine. It's not real. Um, and, of course, that gets played out in The Matrix, the movie The Matrix, which is about machines have taken over the world, and they've, they need to harvest human energy in order to keep their machines going. So in order to keep humans subs um, uh, subservient to that goal, they... Um, uh, create this world, the matrix, mm -hmm. in which the human beings experience everything the human beings experience and they think they're actually experiencing it when in fact they're in incubators hooked up to machines. Mm -hmm. um, this is the, the mix of all these great thought experiments, right? So it's Putnam's okay. brain. Oh, it's all kinds of things. It's all kinds of things. Some postmodern dream argument stuff mm -hmm. and Cartesian right. and everything. Yeah. So right. Life is but a dream. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and that's right. It could be Cartesian, the, the, the evil demon and, and Descartes. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, what I was thinking about, so that's the, in the, the scene in the movie is uh, there are some humans that have been able to escape the matrix and they are fighting the machines. And um, one of them is a guy named Cypher. And uh, what he discovers is that the real world really sucks. And uh, they can't, it's a devasta environmentally devastated planet. So they can't really grow food. And they just, it's, everything's disgusting. It's just Dante's he, third ring. Exactly. <laughs> and he is, he is, uh, he's been working at it and he just can't handle it anymore. And so he, um, 
becomes a spy and he betrays these human beings to the machines. And in fact, actually the, kills people. Well, right. He actually kills people yeah. to get because that's part of the cost of getting back in. Yeah. He wanted to, um, he negotiated with the machine that he would be put back in the incubation so he could be back in the matrix so he can enjoy steak. Yeah. <laughs> So there's this wonderful scene where he's eating steak and it's in the matrix. It's not real, but his, steak. his mind is telling him that's yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's not the tofu steak. It right. literally <laughs> doesn't exist except in his head. Not even rising to the level of plant-based. Exactly. It's not even, not even. So what I love about that is that, uh, especially nowadays, uh, when we live in a post-fact, post-truth kind of, at least, at least political context, if not, mm-hmm. Uh, a bigger context than that um, is that wouldn't we all want to just take one little pill, just take that pill, and everything would be perfect. Yeah, we, you, uh, it just it would be this wonderful kind of in our in we live in this world where we we experience all the pleasures that we want to pursue, and nobody's there's no problems and everything's fine, which is really what he wanted. He didn't want to deal with reality because reality was so foreign to what he had hoped it would be. And so he wants to be back in this fake world. And uh, I, I think, I mean, I think about that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, and I, my students do, and we pursue it to some degree. You know, we yeah. try to create these social bubbles where we're only really interacting with people who think like us. So we don't right. have to think really hard. We don't mm-hmm. have to be challenged. Everything is kind of hunky-dory. Uh, we watch we watch the media we want to listen to uh, that that reinforces our already the beliefs we want to have about the world. So I think I think yeah. there's a lot of um, I mean it's not a, a, a perfect analogy, but yeah. I think there's a lot yeah. of ways in which we uh, want to escape and we just don't want to deal with the reality. Yeah, it seems applicable. So tell me if if this is your experience. So I've been teaching the experience machine for yeah decades at this point, and usually I do it when we're talking about um, John Stuart Mill's justification for um, utilitarianism, mm-hmm. right? And Nozick raises this possibly as a well, if everybody valued happiness or pleasure, then they would just plug into the experience machine, but people don't. Um, so it's a good thought experiment for that because it captures our intuition that we value things beyond pleasure, mm-hmm. except for this. As time goes by, the number of people that are going to defend <laughs> reality for reality's sake in my classes um, has diminished greatly. Wow. So, you know, wow. it used to be everyone's like, no, I wouldn't give up my real life. And it's like, now I'm looking for the one or two per class of 15 or 20 to say, I, you know, I stick with reality to, to make huh. that point and get some balance. Do you have the same experience? Oh, yeah. So it it doesn't come up. Even before we start talking about the experience machine, when we're reading Mill, he's got that phrase about the satisfied pig, the dissatisfied Mm -hmm. Socrates. So we get in this discussion about cats and dogs. Like like I I used to have a cat, and I would use it as an example. Wouldn't you love to be a cat? What do they do? They sit in the sun all day. They order their humans around, and they don't do anything. Yeah, way better than being Socrates, right? right. <laughs> yeah. and, they, and, and the kids are like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'd, be, I'd be my dog. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, what? Yeah. And so it's hard to get them to realize what they're giving up. Yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. in their head, they're, like, perfectly happy. So they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're confusing 
I find there is a confusion between happiness and contentment. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Mill doesn't think we can be content because life is too full, full of suffering. Yeah. Right? We can be happy, maximize mm-hmm. pleasure, minimize pain. But you know, mm-hmm. minimize pain. Yeah. There's going to be pain. Yeah. Part right. of being right. human right. is pain, yeah. right? Yeah. But the, the students don't, they, they feel like that means you're not happy if you're suffering in any way. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so yeah, so I, it, we get caught up in, I'm trying to find somebody that, I, and I always have a couple of students who have been like, yeah, yeah, but if I was a cat, I could never, you know, enjoy rap music or, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my, like, like these other yeah. quote unquote higher pleasures. Yeah. My, my angle into these things, trying to get them to come to the other side a little bit is, but, you know, are, are you going to miss your spouse? Because they're not going to be in the experience machine with you. Mm-hmm. But the, the really bright ones say, yeah, but I'll have something that I think is my spouse and I won't know the exactly. difference. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, it's like, so you don't love your wife. You just love whatever, you know, the experience of your wife in, in some sense. And they're like, yeah, yeah good enough. Yeah. No, the, it's the experience, right? It's, um, yeah, it's interesting. The stu- the, I, I, think it's, I think it's because, um, at least my, I wonder, my hypothesis is that, is that we live in a world that has promised quick delivery of satisfying experiences. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, so that's what they're looking for. And, yeah. and they get this, then they, they kind of shut down or they, push away the harder things, the things that are, that cause where you have to engage in pain or even the thing, actually they, they will recognize there are certain things that are hard to do. And the reason you endure them, you endure them because there's this good at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no way they will value. There's no way they value the effort. Right. Per right. Se. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. always instrumental. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's just the yeah, and I think you're you're right. You mentioned yeah, you know, social media and things like that. Um, more and more, we get that gratification we're looking for because we're looking for the quickest fix. So I go mm-hmm. on um, Facebook. I see a handful of memes that reinforce my various cognitive biases. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm good. Okay. So the right. politicians I like are good, and the ones I don't like are bad. Okay, I'm done. I can now look at the cat memes. And- exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then and then there's the, I was reading an article about the the release of dopamine every time. If you've got your, I never have my volume on my phone on. So yeah, when I'm either. on Facebook, yeah. I don't know if some, I don't get anything. But if you had your volume on, people liking or people sharing, it sends messages to you, which then lights up your dopamine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a kind of. The addictive really quality <laughs> of, of Facebook and other social media. That's one of the reasons Instagram got rid of likes because mm-hmm. they were trying to interrupt that kind of addictive quality, uh, which I thought was pretty cool on their yeah, part. But is- Facebook will not because that's how they drive. That's how they drive our behavior. Yeah. Right. Is the dopamine gets yeah. released. But that's a pleasure. Yeah. center. No, I totally get right. that. Yeah. I, I go to our podcast statistics page and I hit the refresh button. Every 30 seconds exactly. for hours on end, <laughs> even though I know there's not going to be yes. another download yeah. until tomorrow. Exactly. Like, right. What if there's one more? Yes, yeah, exactly. Well, they, no, that's exactly it. Yeah, it's, yeah. Well, it's the same thing, you know, like, like um, I mean, I got my phone in my hand right now. So I, I, I've been expecting some, I've been expecting communication from a variety of people around a project that I'm working on. And so I'm constantly checking my email. Yeah. Because I want to, I, I, 
there's a kind of addictive quality to the phone. I remember when I first got the smartphone and my email was connected, I was so amazed that I could see my email right away. Right. And um, I would be, I, I'd have it on, on my, at the dinner table and I would be there. And after the second night, my wife says, are you married to me or to the phone? <laughs> I'm thinking, the, give, right. me, give me a moment. So, <laughs> I'm really liking this phone right yeah. now. You know, so. Yeah, boy. Yeah. So, but, I mean, but, it, but I guess to connect to this theme that we've been talking about is there is that, that technology has become so integrated into our life that and it's playing on our desire for pleasure. Yeah. yeah. Right. And uh, physiologically, and, and it's setting us up to find this, but it's, this happy place. It's fake. Right. I no, mean, right. I, right. I, oh, yeah, I canceled my Facebook stuff. account a couple of weeks ago and I am like, I can't even tell you how much more calm I am all the mm. time. And I didn't even realize how much time I was spending on it. You know, the books I've read just in the past two weeks <laughs> since canceling Facebook. So I guess the path of this is the matrix was kind of prophetic, right? We weren't going oh, to sure. actually be brains and vats, but we were going to be sort of in these insular little bubbles of reinforcement um, with lots of dopamine coming our way. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for oh, talking to yeah, us. Thanks for great. talking with Appreciate me. Appreciate it. It's great. Okay. So we're talking with philosopher Alan Tomhave. So Alan, you've got a either a favorite thought experiment or a favorite thought experiment that, that at least shows up in some places in pop culture. Why don't you tell us a little about it? Yeah. So uh, my favorite thought experiment is the ship of Theseus thought experiment. It's from, you know, it's really the thought experiment in, in the literature is really only a sentence long and it's... Mm -hmm. Uh, from Thucydides, and he just points out that this um, ship that the youth of Athens, you know, went out and came back in was was preserved over the years, and eventually um, every piece of this ship is actually replaced. Um, and then they, you know, he points out that it becomes this big question amongst philosophers as to whether or not it's the same ship or whether or not it's a different ship. And um, and so that's. Um, that's really my favorite thought experiment, and and I think it gets at a lot of I mean, it clearly gets at a lot of stuff with personal identity and and um, when a person becomes someone different or when an item becomes something different. And so, nice. Do, um, do you find yourself teaching this one quite a bit? Um, I do actually. Um, I have uh, I do it in every intro to philosophy class. It's the first reading I do after the midterm, and it's the and, and I, I really only give them the one sentence. And I, I start with a different version of it, and then I give him the actual ship of Theseus, and it takes the whole class. And so I was really surprised the first time I did it. But it, um, and and the responses I get from students are, um, are pretty positive with it too. So I have the same experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they love it. They do. Yeah, and, and it's yeah. shocking actually how people who don't talk normally will um, jump in on this particular topic. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah I, I guess it's an interesting topic in that um, you're not putting yourself out there, right? It's sufficiently right. abstract. So, yeah. you know, if you uh -huh. just start your class by saying, what about euthanasia? People are not sharing my views with you, but if it's, yeah. oh, right. yeah, well, is this the same ship, right? There's, yeah. There's yeah. no commitment. With my um, intro classes, I now have a, a first day that's just puzzles. Uh -huh. So I do a couple of logic puzzles just to get the juices flowing. And I say, well, let's do a philosophical puzzle. Right. And then um, at the end of the class, they're like, well, what's the answer? And I'm like, I don't know. You have to take my persistence <laughs> class. Right. And then you can find out maybe. <laughs> next semester, and then, then no satisfaction there either. So. Yeah. I just tell them, I have no idea. This is one of the philosophical issues. I'm just like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, then I'd like <laughs> to point out that you can't figure the answer out to this really sort of simple 
problem and how what hope do you have for any of the other issues that it's related to so yeah and that kind of confounds them a little bit i've actually yeah. had students say that it was the most messed up thing we discussed <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they nice. use slightly different language so i can project here yeah so um and where do you find this in pop culture what are the fun so fun uh, i think it comes up in a lot of different places so um sort of really basic um, ones and a lot of the examples you have are actually cases where it's it's not direct replacements um, with the same material, but it's yeah. it's uh, replacements of organic stuff with mechanical stuff. So, oh, so yeah. So Darth Vader, right? Is, yeah. Um, yeah. I think yeah. the well, most good. obvious and, and clear that. example. And it's not a hundred percent replacement there with him, but uh-huh. um, there's there's questions about where that you know where that goes. And then you can have with uh, the most recent. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy movies where you mm-hmm. have, um, which I'm sure was the comic books before, but mm-hmm. um, I'm drawing a blank on her name. Is it Gamora? Is the sister? Yeah, yeah. Right. So yeah. um, she is slowly being replaced and, and mm-hmm. uh, in theory it's a re- an improvement, right? But um, but she's been replaced with this mechanical stuff. But then you can go, you can actually go the other direction too. And so um, the movie Bicentennial Man, which I think is a, a book beforehand, mm-hmm. um, he's, he's a a robot and he replaces himself with organic stuff to, oh, make, him, seen that. to make himself yeah. mortal. Right. So yeah. one of the big arguments is no, you're not, you're not a real person cause you won't die. And, uh, and then, so he says, okay, fine. I'm going to replace myself with these organic oh, wow. components that actually will die. I'll have a lifespan. Um, it's a weird twist on the whole Pinocchio. Story. It is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And then um, it kind of one example I'd actually forgotten until I started thinking about, coming and talking about this was uh, this Isaac Asim, uh, not Isaac, um, Douglas Adams, um, so long and thanks for all the fish. He's got mm-hmm. this um, paranoid android. Um, and um, I think it's, it's, I wrote it down, it's Marvin, right? Mm-hmm. And he's actually makes the comment that every part of him has been replaced like 50 times. Um, and, but, but um, except for some specific diodes that he has. And so that's why he has pain on that part of his body. Right, because everything else has been replaced except those. Oh, wow. mm-hmm. uh, so I think, in, I mean, it, it, there's obviously lots more, but um, um, one of the other ones that I do for, for classes is specifically the London Bridge, too. And this, I don't know if, yeah. how much this would be pop culture, but of course, yeah. The, yeah. The, the old London Bridge is now part of an amusement park in Lake Havasu, Arizona. Yeah, wow. I, I've been on it. Okay. So oh, you took, have? It yeah. took a trip in high school. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Um, from California to Colorado, and we it wasn't too far out of our way, so uh-huh. the person took us there. Yeah, that's weird. Just yeah. out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and it's a it's like a London themed amusement park or something like. Yeah. Right? Or, so I'm going on memories from like 40 ago. years old, and so I don't remember too much about it other than the yeah. the bridge. But um, yeah, they brought it over stone by stone, and the yeah. stones are, you know, in some cases the size of your fist or smaller and. Right. And they cataloged where they went. So it's not just the same material. It's the same material configured the exact same way. Huh. Yeah. Wow. And so, yeah, it's, I mean, slightly different sort of um, thing, but kind of gets you thinking about what is it that we're actually paying attention to when we're saying it's actually the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. when Luke Skywalker says, no, that's still my father, what is, is what's he actually pointing to that actually gets, gets at that? And there's actually one um, other one that's, um, it's a little bit morbid, but, uh, you know, we all have the Wizard of Oz. You got the Tin Man and everything's fine. We know the movie, The Wizard of Oz, but the mm-hmm. actual books, the Tin Man um, actually is a is a woodcutter and it becomes the Tin Man because his axe keeps cutting off parts of his body. 
So his oh, arms or his limbs all get replaced and eventually gets a metal head and a, and, and torso. Um, and, uh, and I guess I didn't actually didn't realize this until I started thinking about this and looking it up um, a little bit more, but apparently the parts that were um, cut off were then partially used to create the, um, the new boyfriend of the tin man's for the tin man's, ex-girlfriend so oh, uh, <laughs> so it's it's sort of using all those parts to do something else is it really this you know but yeah so oh, yeah the splitting pieces easy. um you think of like parfait and stuff here yeah make it really tough um, yeah you know what do you what do you consider to be the thing in the end right so um, I'm reminded there was this comedian in the 70s that, that did this bit, and this this won't be that funny um, to the <laughs> listeners because you, you need to sort of have the 70s um, expression there. But um, they used to um, talk about things occupying space, right? And it was a kind of a pop term. Uh-huh. So this guy would come out with this, this hatchet, right, or an axe, and he'd say, you know, this is the very... Um, Act that George yeah. Washington used to cut down the cherry tree. Now we, we replaced it only has two parts, right? We replaced the handle and we replaced the blade, but it occupies the same space. <laughs> and, and just for our listeners, that used to kill. Um, right. But you know, now it's like, what do you mean occupied? Yeah, you know, it was a cliche at the time. Yeah. What's, yeah. What's basically you know, is you know, part of the transcendental meditation movement and all that. Well, and I think you get the same same joke, <clears throat> not about the space, but the same example with the in lots of other places too so mm-hmm. um, yeah it's pretty funny that um, it's the same that comedians actually used it yeah, yeah. with um, my students they'll you know they love to go to the you know well you change one thing right so the ship of Theseus is slowly you lose a nail or something yeah it's a different thing and then so I'll usually sort of push back and say so do you have a car um Yep. You know, have you changed the oil in the right. car? Did, did you put on a new tire? Or is, yeah, any mm-hmm. little part of it. And they're like, yeah, it's like, okay, that's not your car. You, you wouldn't mind handing me the yeah. keys. I'm just, yeah. And, and they're like, no, no, no. It's, it, right. it, it becomes right. very tough. Yeah. So. The maintenance is just fine, you know, usually in all other areas. And then uh, I've had students talk about sports teams too. So mm-hmm. oh, oh, that's yeah. really interesting. That's a good one. Yeah. It's so it's, right. Um, and it's a constant change from year to year, but no, it's still the you know. So has the, yeah. the 49ers have won X number of Super Bowls, or five? No, the, yeah, I'm right. from San so, Francisco. Right. Almost six. They you know the fourth quarter this anyway. Right. We should just get rid of that fourth quarter, yeah. and everything will be fine. Right? So um, I knew they were going to lose from the first quarter. I thought this is going to come down to the last two minutes, and it's going to be embarrassing. You knew yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. yeah. In in the the non philosophical sense of no. <laughs> so I mean, I, but, yeah. I think it. it creates lots of different yeah. um, sorts of cases. I've had students too point out that, you know, it's it's sort of a just how do you identify it, right? So um, the the sailors on the ship, because um, I'll sort of spread it out and not use the original one, but say, you know, they're just doing maintenance and once a year replace a part and let's just say it's a hundred parts just to make the math easy. And, and um, nobody wakes up one morning and says, how the hell did I get here? Like, there's never a wonder, like, where you know so the where's that crack, ship i was on, right right yeah. and um yeah. yeah so and then if you put it back to to um like this extension the mod that where you got a stalker who's following them around collecting all the pieces as they get jettisoned who then puts them all back together yeah. then there's some confusion right so yeah now students don't see that early on but then there's a question of okay so we have the ship as it leaves the harbor then we have the ship as it's had all its parts replaced 
And if you didn't take a hard line at some point, mm -hmm. then you're going to say those are the same, except now we've put all the pieces back together in the original ones. So which you've got A, B, and C, and, you know, how does that, yeah, how does that work out? So I do a, a similar example, and then the, some students will say, well, you know, that other one was dismantled. It's not the same. Yeah. Um, and I've got this, this friend um, who's really good with things, right? So he bought a motorcycle. Um, the first thing he did was take it completely apart to clean every piece. It was like a 1940s bike. Um, and um, he's also kind of a procrastinator. So he took all the clean pieces, put them in boxes that sat in his garage for like a decade. Right. right. Mm -hmm. And then one day he's like, okay, I'm putting that bike back together. And he puts it back together and it runs. Right. Yeah. And is that the same bike? The fact mm -hmm. that it it's was dismantled. dismantled for a long period of time yeah. doesn't, doesn't bear on that. anyone's assessment yeah. of that case. But yeah. you've got this chip made of the original parts and sure, mm -hmm. a hundred years, it's still, that's the thing they, they christened. Um, right. You know, and, and so the scar from the bottle and the whole, right. Yeah. So. Great. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Nice talking good. to you. Nice talking to you guys. Okay, we're talking with philosopher Devin Belcher today. So, Devin, um, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. All right, so you've got a, a favorite thought experiment or a favorite thought experiment as it manifests itself in pop culture. So why don't you... Well, it, it, to be honest with you, it's not my favorite thought experiment at all. I don't hate it as much as a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. um, but I thought of it when you asked... When you asked thought experiments in popular culture, I thought after the good place, there's really only one choice and that's got to be the trolley problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting that, that people have this kind of contempt for it. A couple of years ago, there was an ethics bowl case that I, you know, should people even be using the trolley problem to teach, right? There's this kind of sense that it's useless or something or bad in some way. So yeah, maybe we can talk a little bit about like why people have that reaction to it. I don't. Yeah, great. So you want to give us the, the thumbnail sketch of the problem and we'll go from there? Yeah, you're, uh, it was due to a, a philosopher named Philippa, Philippa Foote. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's been around. It's maybe 50 years old. But I'm sure some variation on this has been around for, for eternity because it's such a it's like a, a terrific moral dilemma. Yeah, kind of a natural. Right. Um, like a lifeboat ethics sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, right, right. Um, the scenario is that there's a trolley at the top of this hill and it's rolling down the hill and, uh, it's going to, if it continues unimpeded, it's going to go down this one track and kill five people who are innocently picnicking there or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My, my students always say, what are they doing on the, the track? And I always say they're in a fraternity and that's all the explanation. <laughs> you know, you I, th I think that's actually one of the reasons why at least philosophers don't like it because People try and get out of the problem. They try mm -hmm. and solve it, but it's not the it's not a problem that's to be solved. Just stop the train, right? right? People are always like, "Well, I would find some way to stop the train, or I would like jam the jam the the tracks, or something like that." Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so the if you throw the if you throw a lever, the train will go down another track and kill one person who's mm -hmm. equally innocent. Yeah, um, and it's supposed to it's supposed to. I'm not an ethicist, so uh, although I have taught this before. Um, it's supposed to illustrate or sharpen up the uh, distinction between killing people and letting people die. Right, right. right? So w w people generally have like this strong feeling that uh, it's worse to let some, it's worse to kill somebody than to let them die. Mm -hmm. And the trolley problem is supposed to, in some way, show that they're really morally equivalent. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I think one of the reasons that people are so frustrated by the trolley problem is that with all sorts of different variations, and there are thousands of variations yeah, yeah. on the trolley problem, uh, <clears throat> Even in even in variations that look structurally identical to the original problem, you start getting people have uh, like completely conflicting intuitions on the matter. Yeah, right. So is this your experience that the initial case it's pretty easy? People are pull the switch, but any sort of variation, if the track loops around, where you need the the one person to be there to prevent it from hitting the others anyway, or you're pushing someone in front of the trolley to stop them, um, you can't. Right. So, right. yeah. Okay, good. So, so the uh, yeah. So, what I find fascinating about the trolley problem is, and I think the uh, this one scene out of uh, the Good Place really illustrates this, is uh, the the philosopher character in the Good Place, Chidi Anagonia. Mm -hmm. um, he starts talking about the trolley problem, and Ted Danson's character, who's like the head devil there, mm -hmm. uh, looks at him and says. This is why people hate moral philosophers. <laughs> yeah. And I honestly don't know if people really do in popular culture hate the trolley problem. Mm -hmm. um, but I know that there's a pretty strong animus against it in philosophy. Right. Um, right. For some of the reasons that we've that we've talked about. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's billions of variations on it. People tend to argue past the hypothesis and try and solve it. In, in fact, in the in the uh, in the good place, the, that episode is just hilarious by the way mm -hmm. um in the good place uh michael ted danson's character the devil they're all sitting around thinking about the trolley problem and he's scribbling away on this pad of paper and suddenly he stands up and says i've done it i've solved it <laughs> and you, you think like wait a minute you, yeah, this is not a problem it's not this. a math puzzle or right. something like that and he shows this picture he shows this picture that he's just drawn of this trolley squishing five people and this demon hanging out the side with a spear stabbing the other person <laughs> and he said yes i've solved it i figured out how to kill all six of them yeah uh -huh. he, Great. he slowly gets this very crestfallen look and goes that's not the right answer is it yeah, no. But if you make them all morally dubious, right? You get a bunch of Jeffrey Dahmer's and Hitler on there, then sure, that's what yeah, you want to do. Yeah, I mean, you get all sorts of the variations on that with like, what if it's a, a fat guy that you need to push into the way of the into the way of the trolley, and then people's mm -hmm. intuitions change a little bit there? Or what if the one person is Hitler? It's like you know, Godwin's law. Hitler's ev eventually going to come up at some point. Right, right, right. Yeah, and um, I mean, this is where the students really get stuck. So you can't intend the death of the one, but you can merely foresee it or something like that. So pushing somebody in front of the trolley, not good. But switching it to run over the one, presumably okay. And at some point, you've you've mixed this up enough that intuitions aren't clear, right? Yeah, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, and and everybody's got. Everybody's got there's some reason why, you know, we have differing intuitions in the different cases. Some of what I think the really interesting work is uh, is actually being done in psychology, where they'll they'll do an MRI of people thinking about the trolley problem and show that different parts of the brain. I mean, I don't know how seriously to take these these mm -hmm. MRIs. Uh, it seems like a very blunt instrument to me. Right, future neuroscience will be better. Maybe. Presumably. <laughs> um, but the thing is, it looks like very, very different parts of the brain are lighting off when the scenarios change, mm -hmm. even if they're structurally identical scenarios. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So that might suggest that there's not necessarily some kind of fine reasoning going on. Just 
you tell the story one way and you get a knee-jerk reaction and says, no, you can't do this. You tell it another way and a different part of the brain kicks in and yeah, you get of, a different emotional response to it. So your knee-jerk reaction goes in a different direction. Kind of a depressing uh, result for anybody sort of like classically in inclined in philosophy, right? To think mm -hmm. that like, oh, these serious moral intuitions that we have that are supposed to be our moral guides are really just, you know, randomly emotional. Yeah, yeah. And there's tons of... Um, research in psychology about all sorts of things like that. Um, so I don't remember the details, but um, I remember Rachel was taking a course in grad school and they were talking about, you know, two things could be identical and people naturally, when they're identical, will pick the one on the left or the one on the right, whatever it is, yeah. overwhelmingly. And then they'll, you know, tell a story. They'll confabulate about what they were thinking at the time. But but it's all made up. Yeah, it's just, yeah after the fact, um, you know, hindsight kind of. And to be honest with you, it's sometimes quite difficult to read people talking about the philosophy, about the uh, uh, the trolley problem, without thinking that even the most highly trained, coldly dispassionate philosophers are doing just that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. Um, so why, why do people dislike it so much? It's got to be some of that kind of stuff. Um, well, I don't, I don't know why it is that, that it's disliked in pop culture or even if it really is disliked in pop culture. Mm -hmm. um, Ted Danson seemed to think so. Yeah, right. Um, but then again, he was being advised by two professional philosophers. So. Right. And, and as you know, the writers go, that's an easy laugh, right? Disparage the profession. And, you know, it's like, that's why everyone hates moral philosophers. And ha, ha, ha. Um, yeah, so I, I'm not really sure if people in pop culture hate the, the the trolley problem. I think philosophers are, you know what? I think they're just sick of it after 50 years and 2,000 different variations on the on the same example. Mm -hmm. um, personally, I think that the uh, that distinction between killing and letting die is a valuable one to think about, and that the trolley problem might do a pretty good job of sharpening up our intuitions on that. So, like I said, I'm not I'm not personally. Um, I'm not personally objecting to the trolley problem, but I, I've heard so many people just tear out their hair and go, oh, God, not the trolley problem again. Yeah. Even, even in grad school, it was like that. When it came up in an ethics class, the teacher was just, oh, God, we got to talk about this. Yeah. It, I mean, it's kind of a cliche, right? It's the, the guy in a leisure suit spraying binoculars <laughs> mouth of, of philosophical thought experiments. Yeah. Even if it's very useful, you, you sort of feel it's a chestnut. like... Yeah, and when I introduced it to the students um, in my you know applied ethics courses, I always go, okay, now we're going to do the trolley problem. Most of them haven't heard of it, but some of you might have, and the ones that do, they're like, oh, geez, here we go. It's you know, um, perhaps it's just that ubiquitous. Or... Yeah, you know, uh, I, I've seen a bunch of memes on the topic. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, on the trolley yeah. problem. Some of which are quite quite entertaining. And just last night, I, I you know I went online looking for some of them. I wish I could show right now, but you know, if you Google if you Google trolley problem memes, you'll find pages and pages of hilarious ones. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think there's a whole page devoted to trolley problem memes. Nice, um, nice. One of the ones I always thought was was quite fun. There's there's one that uh, plays off Tokyo Drift, where it has the it has the uh, trolley sort of like drifting to the side, mm -hmm. and half of it goes down each track so it gets all six. Uh-huh, yeah, it's the Ted Danson thing again. Right, right. Yeah. And then I, I've seen another one that has, uh, I've seen this in quite a few places too. Um, it's a, it's the standard trolley problem, only there, after it kills the six people, there's a little loop-the-loop -loop in the, in the, in the trolley track. Mm -hmm. And it says, you can either flip the switch and kill the one person 
and save the five, but you won't get the cool loop-to-loop effect. You don't, you don't get the roller coaster ride. Right. Yeah, nice. All right. Well, any um, any final thoughts on it? Not particularly. All right. So trolley problems. Um, kids sign up for philosophy courses. Um, you'll get these. Roll your eyes when they come, but um, <laughs> learn a little something. All right. Well, thanks, Devin. Appreciate having you here. My pleasure. Okay, Rach, that's a wrap. Another episode is in the can, and once again, everything has come up Charbonneau. Please visit our webpage, that's I think ifan.com, all one word, to find out about upcoming episodes. If you would like to support I Think Therefore I Fan, please go to the webpage, click on the link at the top of the page that says Donate, and follow the instructions. As always, your support is greatly appreciated. Finally, if you enjoy this podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and give us a rating. It helps. See you next time.